0: The numbers one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six the insurance and injury law show back here with Savannah Tumarkin and our pal James Fireman from the show. You guys are handling all kinds of stuff today. We got a ton of emails and questions to get through, and uh, some websites off the top. You want to check out InjuryCalculator.ca. That is where you can find an accurate number in uh, just a couple minutes to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be. That and MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Check that out during this hour as we uh, we go through the show. We always start. Uh Savan, was some, uh, some week that was, some cases that you're either working on or have been through, what do you got for highlights?
1: Well, let's delve right into it, John. Let's talk about uh, an issue that I have talked about quite a few times before. In fact, this week, James and I were interviewed by various radio stations. It has to do with nursing homes. There was a Toronto Star article that talked about several homes, uh, one of which was in Mississauga, another one uh, in London. Uh, actually, a couple of them, I think, um, uh, were, were in Mississauga. And what happened was that they had been cited with numerous violations uh, by the government saying that the staff there uh, the 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 management has essentially failed to comply with the relevant legislation meaning that uh, the residents there the elderly were uh, neglected uh, they've suffered abuse that wasn't attended to it was a whole list of things that these elderly individuals who were placed in the care of these institutions were suffering from and some of these homes were actually ordered not to accept any new patients now, this is absolutely e- egregious. I mean, it's I, I can't tell you how angry that makes me uh, uh, feel. Uh, it's no different, absolutely no different than sending your child to school and expecting that your child will be taken care of, yeah. not abused, not neglected. No different for the elderly. Now, one of the things that many people fail to understand or don't know is that when this happens and when these nursing homes, retirement homes, long uh, long-term facilities... When they do this, when they neglect these residents uh, or let them get abused or the medications get uh, uh, screwed up, these residents and their families have legal recourse. And I have dealt personally at my firm with quite a few of these cases. And I can tell you this, when a letter comes out from my office to these homes, they, they panic. They panic because they understand that they've done wrong. They understand that their insurance company now has to get involved. They understand that it's going to impact them economically. Residents who have been in that situation and families who have seen their loved ones treated this way can seek legal remedies. What does that mean? It means that the residents are entitled to pain and suffering damages. Money, money for pain and suffering, the pain and suffering that they have suffered. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a case that uh, I had handled a few months back with uh, a brother and a sister who came to me because their mother was lifted out of her bed uh, in in a certain way that was not correct, leading her to fall down, suffer some fractures, and eventually, a few days later, she died. And of course, they came to me, they were very traumatized, and I explained to them, look, this is very tragic, here's what we can do from a legal standpoint. And you know, at the end of the day, John, when you boil it down, unfortunately, unfortunately, these kinds of legal claims, when we hit back at these residences that simply seem to not care about these residents and simply care only about money so let's hit them where it hurts because unfortunately, that's the only thing that's going to change their behavior. That's, Abs- actually,
2: that's actually a really good point, Savon, because if you take a look at the residences that got tagged this week with these cease admissions orders, at least one and maybe two of them had a recent cease admission order not that long ago, maybe a year or so ago. Huh. So if you think that the cease admission orders are all that you need in order to make sure that they're going to stay in line, you're wrong. Um, and the reality is that sometimes the only thing that's going to get them to wake up and pay attention is talking to a lawyer and getting a lawyer involved to make sure that your rights and your family's rights um, are being taken care of properly.
0: You know, it's amazing how it comes full circle because young kids and the elderly are almost the same. They're helpless and sometimes they don't know better. Sometimes there's mental impairments, so they need help and
1: they need people to step up and do that, right? Same as young kids. They just don't know. That's right. right that's right. And some of these violations stem from uh, lack of care and sometimes yep. lack lack of, of just, you know, budgetary constraints, if you want to call it that. These homes are getting paid a lot of money. You think? You know, but but, but clearly uh, there are significant shortfalls. And, you know, we had uh, that case of that nurse out west, uh, yep. London and Woodstock, right, who was accused of uh, healing seven, eight people. Yeah, exactly. Seven or eight people. Uh, So, you know, again, just putting it out there. There's a lot of people out there who have loved ones in these homes. If you suspect that there's something foul happening, if you suspect that somebody is getting neglected or abused, please, please uh, come to us, call us, email us. We'll give you the information you need to understand what your legal options are. A couple minutes to go till we uh, take a break. What else you got going on, pal? Well, let's talk about uh, an interesting email that I had received. Uh, so I get these kinds of emails quite regularly, but this one is is quite interesting. So let me read it to you. This came from a gentleman who wrote in the subject line, "My friend's car accident." And again, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, this is not this show is not just addressed to the listeners. It's to the listeners as well as to people that the listeners know. So if you are hearing us talking about personal injury, long-term disability any kind of issues that deal with those spheres of the law. And you know someone who may need that help. If you know someone who may need that information, direct them to us. So here's what this person writes. My friend was involved in an accident three years ago. Not her fault. She was put into a catastrophic category and the case has now gone into the stage of settlement. It is my understanding that there are two stages of settlement, tort and domain settlement, which can be worth substantially more. Her lawyer is going after the accident part of her case. My question is, does the tort part, uh, what does the tort part consist of? Can she receive both parts, tort and the main settlement, or are they taken as two separate parts? I hope that I've explained it properly. I listen to you every week on AM640 and find your program most informative. Now, again, we get a lot of these kinds of questions, so let's break it down with car accidents. Anytime you are involved in a car accident in Ontario, you are dealing with two parts, two types of claims. And we'll get to those two after we
0: take a, a short break here. Uh, the number is one Hang on to that thought, Savannah. Lots more coming up. The Insurance and Injury Law Show, Talk Radio, AM 640 one 990 9646 Savan's number to uh, get a hold of him and the firm. It is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca as well. So back to what we were talking
1: about before the break. Yeah, yeah we're talking about that email that I had received from, a friend who's, uh, sorry, from an individual whose friend was involved in a car mm-hmm. accident and suffered apparently catastrophic injuries. Uh, so he's asking about a tort claim. He's asking about a main accident claim. You know, these are terms that are just thrown out there. So let's just break it down. In every car accident case in Ontario, if you are injured and someone else is at fault for that accident, then you are dealing with at least two types of claims. The first claim has to do with the benefits you are entitled to or owed by your insurance company. Okay, Those may include income replacement benefits to substitute for a portion of your income mm-hmm. then you now cannot earn because you're injured. Uh, it, it may deal with medical and rehabilitation expenses. There's a whole bunch of, of, of uh, benefits that you may be owed by your insurance company. So that's called accident benefits, accident benefits claim. The other type of claim is called a tort claim. What is that? That's essentially a legal claim against whoever caused the accident. Their insurance company then gets involved. And that's when you claim for uh, uh, things like pain and suffering, uh, future income losses, uh, housekeeping expenses. There is some overlap between the claim, mm-hmm. the accident and benefits claim and the tort claim. But there are also the types of claims and damages and losses that you are seeking from the other party's insurance company that you can't seek from your insurance company. So to answer this individual question who wrote me the email... Uh, if we're dealing with a catastrophic type of a case and you have t- the two claims that are open, the accident benefits and tort, ideally, ideally, generally speaking, you would want to go to settlement and resolve both of them at the same, same time. time. Because yes. the problem is that if you resolve one without the other, you may be faced in a situation where the other insurance company, so let's say you settle the accident benefits. Well, then the other insurance company for the tort may say, well, you undersettle the, insurance co- the, the accident benefits portion and we're going to pay you less. So, ideally you want to get them in the same room at settlement. It doesn't always happen. Strategically, you also may want to settle one before the other, but generally speaking, you want to make sure that you discuss with your client both claims so that the client understands what he or she can be looking at from a compensation standpoint for both claims. one 990 9646
0: the number, injurycalculator.ca. Find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim
1: should be. Your full entitlement's right there. Okay, here's a question that I received uh, that was posted on mydisabilityquestions.com, that free website. Yep. Um, so this comes from uh, a lady in Milton. She writes, my LTD claim through Sun Life has been denied. My doctor says I'm in no condition to resume work and has sent up uh, all up-to-date reports supporting my claim, but I was still denied. Do I have a claim? Well, John, I can tell you without even looking at the case, most likely this lady has a claim. What does that mean? You know, again, every case is specific. Every case, you know, we evaluate on their individual facts. But when someone tells me that they're unable to work, and that their disability arose during the time that they had coverage for long-term disability, and their doctors are writing in comprehensive reports or substantial reports that state this person is unable to work because of so-and-so disability, why is the insurance company denying the claim? Why? I mean, sometimes they cite the excuse of insufficient medical documents, sometimes they cite other types of excuses, pre-existing conditions, the reality, is, the reality is that if a person is covered under an LTD policy and uh, their doctors say that this person is unable to work, the reality is that they most likely have a claim. And what happens is that most insurance companies, a lot of insurance companies, uh, you, know, they, they play a numbers game. They basically try to uh, you know, out of uh, every 10 claimants that they deny, they hope that nine of them will just walk away, and only one will fight back. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't be that part of the nine. You should definitely try and fight back or At the very least, give us a call. Let us advise you and tell you and assess your case and tell you if you have a claim or not. And, you know, we'll tell you. We'll tell you really within a few minutes by reviewing the documents, reviewing the medical documents, reviewing the policy, reviewing the denial letter. We can tell you very quickly if we think you have a claim or not.
0: One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is that number. If you haven't checked it out, fight for my That's another website you can uh, have a look at and sample as we sit here and discuss some of the cases that uh, that you're talking about, Samantha. So, what's the next one?
1: So uh, something, uh, so this is interesting. I, I had a uh, discovery uh, earlier this week, which is when, uh, you know, we go into a room and my client gets asked a few questions about, um, you know, the accident happened. Let's say we're dealing with a slip and fall. Right. So in my instance, one of the questions that were asked of my client who had uh, slipped and fell and injured herself is, why didn't you go to the hospital? After your your injury, uh, you know the ambulance came. We have a record of that. Uh, but you know you had declined to be to to go to the hospital. In fact, you didn't see a doctor for two days. You know, and a lot of people will answer that well, they didn't think it was it was that bad, or or you know they wanted to give it some time, or perhaps they went to the hospital but they decided not to wait because the wait was like eight hours. You know, the problem with that is that now, in hindsight, you know, a year later, six months later, two years later. When you look back, you're thinking to yourself, if you're the insurance company, you're thinking to yourself, well, how bad was, in fact, the accident? How bad can the injuries be if you declined going to the hospital? So, you know, if you are injured in an accident, if the ambulance comes, even if the ambulance doesn't come, consider going to the hospital just to get checked out because you may not think that you have a fracture, but you may, in fact. You know, I had a client that had broken his femur, I mean, which is a significant injury, And yet he didn't go to the hospital for almost a week. I mean, that's just insane. Not to mention the fact that that could complicate his recovery and the treatments, uh, you know, that he potentially could uh, be looking at. But just understand that if you start a legal claim down the road for your injuries, your medical records are going to be produced and you're going to be questioned on the choices that you had made. James, you have some points.
2: Yeah, the, the flip side of that, though, is if you've already had an accident and you didn't go to the hospital right away, there's still a lot that we can do for you. So please call us and um, let's discuss
0: your situation. One triple eight one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is that number again? Help at the insurance lawyer dot ca through email. We'll get to some emails very shortly. Lots more the insurance and injury law show talk radio. six forty. One triple eight six forty one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six is the number. It is help at the insurance lawyer I mentioned some emails. We'll uh, we'll get to some of those now. I'll throw this one towards you. Savannah Dennis writes in says my thirty one year old daughter was in a bad car crash two months ago. And suffered bad injuries. She was in the hospital for three weeks and is being followed by doctors for head injury and a few fractures. His friend was driving and lost control of the car. Can my daughter make a claim for compensation? And what can she get?
1: Well, Dennis, first of all, thank you very much for emailing us uh, on behalf of your daughter. Uh, We're talking about, obviously, a significant, significant uh, accident. Uh, So let's break this down. Number one. As we said at the outset, um, given the fact that um, she, was, she, she, she was not at fault here, there was somebody else who was at fault for the accident, whoever that person is, whether it's her friend who was driving uh, or something else that caused them to get into an accident, there are two claims she's looking at. There's the claim through her insurance company or the insurance company of the vehicle she was in, that's called the accident benefits claim. Right, that's going mm-hmm. to compensate her for her inability to work uh, to an extent. Uh, medical rehabilitation services, attendant care—you know, if she has difficulty doing things for herself at home, things like that. But then there is the other type of claim, the tort claim against whoever was at fault. So let's assume for a second we're dealing with her friend here, who was the driver. And by the way, John, this does come out, um, uh, come up uh, quite a lot, uh, where you have uh, people who are driving in a vehicle the passenger is injured, and then they're hesitant to start any claim against the driver because the driver could be their friend, their could buddies. be their wife, could yep. be their husband, right? Remember, when you're starting a claim against whoever was at fault for the accident, whoever that person is, it's the insurance company we're actually dealing with. That's why we all carry insurance. And at the end of the day, if I'm if I'm in a car accident and I'm driving and my wife is injured because I made a mistake... I want her to start a claim against me because clearly there are legitimate injuries and she's entitled to compensation under the law for pain and suffering, for income loss, for a whole bunch of things. And really, it's the same household, right? So really the money comes to both of us, but it's coming from the insurance company. So, you know, Dennis, clearly we're dealing with very, very significant uh, injuries here uh, for your daughter. Uh, she, she can be claiming for pain and suffering. She can be claiming, uh, uh, claiming for potential income losses for the past and for the future, a whole slew of other types of losses. Maybe you now need to stay at home and actually help her uh, because she's injured. Well, then you're entitled to make a claim. It's called a derivative claim as her father... For the various services that you are helping her with, mm. uh, so you know there are a lot of things that we can be looking at, Dennis. And uh, what I would suggest is that we make an uh, we make an appointment. You know, I can come to you guys. We can just have a chat face to face, go through everything. And at the end, your daughter can make an informed decision as to how she wants to proceed and what she wants to do. But she definitely has a claim and it's significant. Dennis, at number one 990 9646
0: So James, yeah, you were talking car accidents. Find both driver and passenger in a car accident are injured, but can they both get the same lawyer? Often they can um, it really depends on the
2: situation so I see this a lot um, in situations where let's say a husband and wife are driving together and there's an accident um, and you know they don't want to go see separate lawyers initially because you know they care about each other and they want to make sure that right. um, you know whoever's injured is taken care of usually it's one party that's more injured than the other. Um, So they'll come see me and they'll want to know whether they can have the same lawyer. And really it depends on who is at fault for the accident. So if the accident was caused by some other driver um, and the driver of the vehicle, let's say it's the husband, um, was not at all at fault, then certainly both the driver and the passenger, um, the husband and wife, can have the same lawyer. That's not an issue. Um, if, however, there is an allegation that the driver, the husband in this case, um, was, the, was even partially at fault, it can create an issue. And where that happens, it's not a big deal. Um, it means that um, one of the uh, two people, one of the driver or the passenger, um, will need to have a separate lawyer. Um, that happens quite frequently, and it isn't any anything to be worried about. Um, and certainly, if that were to come up, um, we would find a way to make sure that um, both parties were very well represented.
0: We'll get to a uh, email, Lisa. Answer part of this, Savannah. Before we break, comes from Blake, and it is uh, help at the insurance lawyer.ca. Blake says, "I have." LTD with my employer, but there's another company that is deciding if I should be getting LTD. They are saying that I will not qualify for LTD as of December 15th, which is about a year after I started getting it. Uh, I don't know what to do and if I should raise this with my employer or that company. My doctor says that I'm still not ready to go back to work.
1: That's an interesting question because uh, what we're dealing with here is it's called an ASO uh, agreement, administrative services only agreement. And typically what happens, and you see this with some of the larger employers, let's say some banks. uh, I uh, I think BMO does this as an example, where they're the ones who actually pay the LTD, but they contract out with an insurance company that has expertise with disability claims to manage the claim. I mean, think about that. The employer is not in the business of managing disability claims, but maybe the uh, um, uh, employer decides that they don't want SunLife Life, as an example, to pay out the the, the the payments, the disability payments. They just want them to tell them when they should make the payments. So, in Blake's situation, he's being told that he's not going to qualify for LTD as of December fifteenth, which, by the way, is coming up in just a few months. Uh, we can potentially be uh, in a situation where we have to go after both the the, the employer and the insurance company because the employer clearly is the one who's going to stop paying, but the insurance company is the one who's made the decision to stop paying. So we have to iron out which one of them is on the hook, assuming that Blake is in fact owed benefits beyond December 15th. Now, the good thing about contacting us now is that uh, because we 're talking about a few months from now, in other words, this hasn 't already happened, we can actually deal with this right away if so so uh, Blake, my suggestion is that we talk off air uh, let, let us get some more information. let me see the uh, the letter that you received. Uh, let me take a look at the policy and the medical documents you have, and what we may end up doing is writing to both uh, the other company, the insurance company, and your employer and figuring out why it is that they 've decided to cut you off. And we may even be able to avoid the cutoff, convince them that they should not be cutting you off. But at the very least, if they decide to do so, you will be in a legal position to fight back and force them to the negotiating table and get the settlement that that you deserve. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety
0: six forty six 888 990 9646 is that number, com. If you have any other questions and you haven't tried it yet, you want to find out what the pain and suffering component of your claim should be, InjuryCalculator.ca as well. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio, AM640. One triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. The number my the dot com. Email is help at the dot ca. Get through more of those uh, this hour. Question for you, though, James uh, How should people who are on LTD long term disability approach their doctors for help? And you know, I mean, what if the doctors are, are hesitant to get involved or help with the legal claim? Can you talk to them? Well, it's a good question, John. Um, So as far as uh, we go, as
2: lawyers, we're your legal advocates. Um, Your doctors are your medical advocates. So when you have a legal claim that requires an opinion from a doctor, um, that's part of their job. That's what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be advocating for you medically. And so if you need an opinion from them, certainly you want to ask them and you want to ask them nicely. But keep in mind that this is something that they should be doing. So it's not a matter of, you know, maybe could you please possibly it's listen, I really need you to fill this out for me. Um, It's important that you do it as quickly as possible to make sure that I get my benefits. Because if you don't, I'm stuck. I've got nothing to fall back on. Um, And so the other part of the question is can I get involved? I can, um, and at times I will. But I'm hesitant to do that, certainly not right away, because as soon as I do that, my concern is that the doctor is going to see that as, okay, you're getting your lawyer involved. All of a sudden, we are you know yeah. adversaries here, the doctor and the patient, and that's not what anybody wants. Your doctor is there to help you. So if there is an issue, if the doctor just won't play, then yeah, I'll, I'll give them a call, but you know I'll, I'll treat them with kid gloves and I'll make sure that they just understand that's really important, that they give their opinion as quickly as possible. Um, and usually that's more than enough to get the job done.
0: Another email, that is help at the insurance lawyer.ca Sam writes in, says my uncle was cut off LTD, last month because the insurance company says uh, that he didn't comply with the return to work program that they prepared for him. But the truth is that his doctor told him that he is not ready yet and even told the insurance adjuster, but they won't listen. He is 54 and has a very uh, physical job in a manufacturing factory. He can't stand or sit for more than five to 10 minutes without having to sit and rest. He wants to appeal the decision. What do
1: you think? Well, I know what the first answer is. The, the appeal, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely do not appeal. Absolutely. First of all, Sam, thanks for, for, again, emailing us. And again, we have another situation of somebody who is concerned about a relative and they're contacting us. So, you know, if you know anybody in that position, please, 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 if they don't contact us, you should contact us. We'll give you the same information that you can relate to them. Uh, Sam, he should not be appealing this denial. It's actually, it's just amazing to me when I see these cases where, you know, Unlike what James just discussed with doctors where we have to treat with kid gloves, here we have a doctor who is trying his best uh, to convince the insurance company that this person is not ready to return to work or to try and return to work. And here you have the adjuster, for whatever reason, deciding that they know best. Somehow, perhaps, I don't know, maybe they have an MD degree. It makes no sense to me. Certainly, Sam, he should not be appealing. Let us get involved, and I'm telling you, we will resolve this fairly quickly with the insurance company. Remember, remember, most of these insurance companies, the logic behind what they're doing, because oftentimes when they're denying claims, people come to me and say, it makes no sense. And when you look on the face of it, yeah, it makes no sense. What do you mean you're not listening to this person's doctor or you're just ignoring these reports? Well, if you think about it in another way, you think about this as an economic move, uh, a game, right? Right. They figure that if they deny your claim, you will appeal, mm-hmm. possibly, because the majority of people out there appeal. Whether it's because they haven't listened to us or because they just don't want to listen to us, they will appeal, and then they'll get denied, and then they'll appeal again and get denied. And then six months pass by, people give up, families give up, and they just live with this uh, um, you know, sense that it's a sense of doom. You can't do anything. Yeah. You can't take on this billion-dollar industry. Well, here's a secret, and we've talked about this quite a lot, and we've had Terry, our insurance guy here, who talked about it, who worked for you know for the insurance industry for decades. Insurance companies are not in the business of fighting these claims. Sure, they will fight claims that they think they are 100% right on, but they know very well that a lot of these denials, a lot of these cases should not be denied. But what they're banking on is that people are simply not going to fight back. They're not going to stand for their rights. And you know, at the very least, if you are not planning to stand for your rights, at the very least know what your rights are so that you can make an informed decision. That's why I say give us a call, email us, go on some one of our websites. They're free. This is all free legal right. information. It
0: ninety six forty six. It is help at the insurance lawyer.ca. So James, if uh, you know insured like we've just been talking about denies or cut off people's disability payments, sometimes not only telling them to uh you know, appeal a decision, which we now know is is pure garbage. But they say you got ninety days to do so. Does that does that time limit have any
2: you're, truth? You're, do you ever uh, watching TV late at night and you're flipping channels yeah. and you see that commercial for the rotisserie chicken? But wait. But wait, There's if you more. call in the next call 10 out. minutes, we'll give you six steak knives. That's what this is. It's <laughs> just if you call the next day or the day after that or the day after that, those six steak knives are going to be there. Trust me. Um, and that's all this 90-day limit is. It's the six steak knives. That's all it is. If you is. Four months later, all they want is for you to appeal. They want you to get into that appeal system so that you don't contact a lawyer, so that you don't bring a claim within the, within the time
0: limit. That's all that it is. Here's your how. What's your hurry? Yeah. Call us now, right? one is the number. We'll take a short break and get right back into one of your emails here. The Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio, AM 640. one is the number. Email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Got Ken here, writes in and says, How often should you hear from your lawyer? My friend was denied long-term disability almost two years ago, and he hired a lawyer but has hardly heard from him. He doesn't have any idea where his case stands and
1: has a lot of trouble reaching his lawyer to ask questions. What can or should they do? All right. So, Ken, I'm going to tread carefully when I answer this question. I'm not going to tell you or your friend what should be done with the lawyer, um, but what I can tell you is what... Uh, generally happens with long-term disability claims in our office. So first of all, we move claims fairly aggressively in our office. What does that mean? It means that we're very quick to contact the insurance company to try and get a resolution because ultimately we understand that our clients need money. They need money to pay for the mortgage, their kids' activities, etc. Now, your friend was denied LTD almost two years ago. I can tell you that the majority of LTD claims handled in my office are not two years old. Why? Because we do move quickly on those claims and we update the clients regularly, which is what should happen. If your friend is trying to get a hold of his lawyer or the the lawyer's office, the assistant, whoever, and is not getting answers, that's a huge red flag in my book. Why? Because it's a very simple exercise for the lawyer to just quickly type up an email saying, hey, by the way, um, Mr. Uh, John or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, here's where your case stands. Here's the next step. Here's what we're going to do. Or pick up the, the, you know, the, the, the phone or have the assistant schedule a call. You know, and and I, I hear this a lot with people who are unable to reach their lawyers, can't even make appointments to see them or to talk to them. That is unacceptable. Remember, these cases don't belong to the lawyers. They belong to you. This is affecting your life. That lawyer may have 200 cases that he or she is dealing with. That's no excuse for ignoring your voicemails, your letters, your emails. No excuse whatsoever. Uh, So, you know, if you're in that situation, you have to question as to whether or not the way your lawyer is dealing with you, that's the way he's dealing with or she's dealing with the insurance company. Maybe that's the reason why this case has still not settled because you're trying to reach them, you can't get an answer. Maybe the insurance company or their lawyers is trying to reach the lawyer, uh, your lawyer, and they can't get an answer. Meanwhile, your case is just collecting dust in that law office's uh, shelf. So, you know, my advice to you, again, I'm not telling you what to do with the lawyer that you have, or can. I'm not telling your friend what to do with them. Uh, What I would say is that your friend should put in writing his concerns, should give the lawyer a deadline by which time uh, the lawyer should be responding or setting up an appointment. And if that doesn't work, then your friend needs to reconsider legal representation because that would be a huge concern to me. It's like me trying to get a hold of my doctor after I do some medical tests, not being able to get any answers or even an appointment to see my doctor. I mean, what is the point? I'm just going to go to another doctor. For me, it's the exact same thing. one 888
0: help at the ca through email. So James, you know, again, not painting all with a paintbrush. I know uh, both of you guys have worked with and for a long time with insurance companies, but sometimes you get an LTD adjuster that is uh, belligerent or even aggressive towards you or someone you know. What do you do? Well, this is all by design. Um, you know, not all adjusters
2: work this way, but certainly, um, when they feel like intimidating you is going to help them, that's what they're going to do. Um, And, you know, many people will just uh, fold at that point. They'll think that there's nothing that they can do. The reality is the easiest thing that you can do is going to solve that particular problem. You give us a call. And from that point forward, you're no longer dealing with the adjuster. You don't have to take those phone calls um, or read those nasty emails. Um, We'll deal with it. And guess what? The moment that you hire us, all of a sudden their tone changes. It's magical. All of a sudden they find religion and, you know, they're the nicest people to deal with. Oh, yeah, sure. We'll see if we can get something done. Of course. It's amazing how that happens. But another thing that you can do, um, if you haven't contacted a lawyer yet, and this is important, a lot of times when adjusters act this way, They'll do it over the phone and they'll do it that way because they know that there isn't a record because you're probably not recording them. So if they're aggressive with you, if they're belligerent, if they say things to you that you don't feel are right, um, certainly give us a call. But another thing that you can and should be doing is immediately emailing them back and saying, I'm confirming our conversation that we just had on the phone where you told me X, Y and Z. And that's it. Now there's a record. And if they don't respond to correct you, then they've essentially just admitted that that's what they've said. And if they do respond to correct you, then all of a sudden you have different
0: information that you can
2: work off of. Either way, your problem is more or less solved.
0: That's that's so key in all this, keep records of everything, conversations, and that's even in employment law, same thing,
1: right? Exactly. I mean, keep records. And you know, that technique of, uh, and we've talked about this before, uh, of emailing the adjuster, confirming what was said, particularly if you have an aggressive adjuster, you know, in a way, it's a gambit. I mean, they'll either not respond, in which case we can say that they've admitted what you've written, or they will respond aggressively, which means right. that now you're going to have an actual record you can point to months down the road, you know, when, when, when you're advancing, you know, other types of claims. Yeah. I don't know, maybe there's egregious conduct here and we're claiming for punitive damages. I mean, you know, these adjusters are human beings, so they will act with emotion. Uh, don't fall into the trap, uh, which is the trap that they're setting for you to just back off, back away, and give up. Don't do that, okay? At the very least, as James said, give us a call, email us so we can advise you. It Mm -hmm. doesn't cost anything to call us. So not doing so puts you in a disadvantage
0: when there is no reason to. We'll finish off with an email and some more points. one 990 9646 is the number. Help at the theinsurancelawyer.ca. It's the Insurance and Injury Law Show Talk Radio AM640. 990 9646 the number anytime to get a hold of Savannah. If you haven't used it, check out injurycalculator.ca find out what the uh, correct amount for your pain and suffering component of your claim should be really easy to use. Takes just a few seconds to uh to go through the metric. Got an email here. Uh, Savannah from Dale says, uh, my sister has been on long-term disability for just over a year and my insurance company just offered to pay her until the uh, two-year mark, approximately $80,000. They said that she won 't be getting any more payments after that she is inclined to take their offer because she 's tired of dealing with them. but my concern is that she 's got a neurological condition that will only get worse she 's only forty two does she uh, does she have to accept their offer? What happens if she doesn 't and they cut her off Which they probably will
1: yeah, they, yeah. They, they, well yeah they yeah, probably they will, will. Uh, no dale she 's not obligated to uh, to take that offer, and let me just do quick math for you. Uh, She's 42 years old. Let's assume she has a standard policy that takes her to age 65. Sometimes, by the way, these policies take you to less time. They're five-year policies. Sometimes they take you beyond age 65. But let's say 65. That's standard. Uh, They're offering to pay her uh, up to the two-year mark uh, $80,000. I have no idea what that works out to. Let's assume it's $40,000 a year. Okay, let's just take that number. It's probably more than that. But let's assume that. She's got 23 more years until she's 65 years old. So calculate $40,000 times 23 years. That's almost a million dollars. So think about it this way. They are trying to buy her off at less than 10 cents on the dollar. Cheap. Insane. It's not unusual. We see this quite a lot. Now, people come to me and they say, can we negotiate with the insurance company? You can try. But in most cases, I find that you know when they're offering you a lump sum... They won't necessarily want to negotiate, but what they may end up doing is continuing on the benefits and then cut you off at some point down the road. Right. Look, your position, legal position, doesn't change if you simply refuse to accept the lump sum settlement. Now, listen, if you accept the lump sum settlement, understand, you're going to get a check for that amount, okay, for then whatever they're offering, but you're done. Yeah. You are absolutely done. Now, she has, Dale, a neurological condition. You know, it's it's only going to get worse, and I'm assuming you're talking based on discussions with the doctors. Why in the world would she accept a settlement that is less than 10 cents on the dollar? Maybe she has a difficult adjuster, maybe she just doesn't want to deal with the insurance companies. Remember, they are banking on that. That's no reason, in my mind, for her to accept less than 10 cents on the dollar when she's most likely never going to work again. So be very, very careful on that. Now, there's a whole... Um, you know, we can do a full show just on the pros and cons of accepting uh, accepting lump sum settlements. Uh, all I'm going to say is that always do the calculation as to how much you could potentially be looking at if you did not accept the lump sum. How much would you have been paid? That's not to say that if there is at some point a cutoff and we negotiate a settlement, that she's going to get a settlement that represents whatever she would have earned or gotten from the insurance company to age 65 but it's not going to be 10 cents on the dollar or less than that which is what's being offered
0: and the fact is i mean you you're the average person you say here's 80000 dollars i mean wow that's you know that's a that's a, that's a new BMW that looks attractive to most people they don't think about 20 years down the road right? sure
2: but if the insurance company is offering that without having their feet held to the fire they're doing it for a reason and the reason is it's because it's to their advantage and until you really push them on it you're not going to really know what their bottom line is
0: you know James we talk about CPP disability all the time in the show but this issue keeps coming up explain again why CPP disability is important in LTD cases
2: well I mean CPP disability is something that not everybody is aware that they may be entitled to Most people are aware that after they turn 65, CPP is available to them, of course, but if you're injured, um, to the extent that you're not able to to work, um, you may be entitled to CPP disability, Um, and what's really significant in a long-term disability case is that many of the policies are going to include a provision that says you have to apply for CPP disability and if you don't they're entitled to take a deduction for the full amount of what you might be entitled to. So if you don't apply you're losing out on that entire amount whether or not you would get it. If you apply and you receive the CPP, then you're not out anything. And if you don't, then the insurance company is going to have to make up the difference. That's just the way that it works. By the way, if you do apply and uh, they approve of your CPP disability, yet another feather in your cap in your argument with your insurance company that you're not able
1: to work. Because it's generally a tougher constraint to get CPP. It's a a different constraint, but it's another argument. You can say, you know, the government deems me to be disabled, who are you to say that I am not? Right, right. Right.
0: But they do get a credit for it, right? So if it's a thousand total, CPB gives you five hundred. That's why the insurance company does it because they only have to pay five hundred, right?
2: Typically, yes. But if you haven't applied, they still will They'll claim that full credit as well, which makes things much more difficult for you.
0: We'll uh, take it for another week as we wrap it up here. A couple numbers, a couple websites you should be aware of MyDisabilityQuestions.com. If it was answered today, great. If not, you can go to MyDisabilityQuestions.com, punch it in there. Chances are it's already been asked and answered. So have a look at that. Spend some time there and your pain and suffering amount just the tip of the iceberg really but you want to find out what that is that's simple as well injurycalculator.ca it takes about a couple minutes to go through that metric and come out with a, a real number a dollar amount that has been uh has been done by savannah and his team and it is true to the word and to the number and the email is help at the insurance lawyer.ca and barring that the number one triple eight nine nine zero ninety six forty six. 9646 till next time the insurance and injury law show talk radio am 640